All right, well, we're going to get ready to get back into our Gospel of John study. So you open your Bibles to John 13. We'll have a reading for verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. They just nail it on reading that. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you here today. A question for you as we transition from that reading into the scripture is, think, I want you to think of someone in your life who, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a, a boss or a family member, somebody who has had a significant impact in your life. Someone who you would think this is someone you, that they were able to motivate you, make you feel encouraged, or, or something like that. That there's a special place that that person had in your life. Now, try to get a name or a few names in your head. And then the next question is, what is it that they did that was so significant for you? What was the, their posture towards you that would cause you to feel so loved or motivated or encouraged by them? Because today we're going to look at this story that, of Jesus washing the feet and we're going to see an example as he ends. And he says, I leave this example for you. But we want to kind of double click on this and really understand, okay, what really, there's a few things happening. There's this greater symbolism happening uh, of what Jesus was communicating about his mission and his method. But then there's some real practical uh, things that we can learn from it. Practical things that even in the business world that many people, if you have taken any business classes in school, there's writings about servant leadership and the value of it. So Jesus models something that we know that even a culture has grown to embrace. 
But we want to today kind of look at what's the deeper meaning of this passage of what Jesus is communicating. And then secondly, what is the practical implications for us as when Jesus has followed this example of why should we? And then what does that really look like? Where do we find the motivation to serve the way Jesus served? So that's kind of where we're going today as we dive into this text. And in, in the end, what we'll find is often the people who have had an, an effect in our lives our teachers, different coaches, people like that, you'll notice some of these same principles have been at play in their lives that Jesus modeled. And so we want to kind of dive into that and find how can we live this out together. So pray with me as we get started and dive back into the text. Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We ask that you bless the readers and the hearers of of your word. And Lord, as we dive into it and try to understand you, I pray, God, that today that... um, It wouldn't just be another lesson where we see, yeah, we should be more like Jesus, but your great love and service for us would motivate and shape us to be who you've called us to be. And Lord, may you allow us to be your light as we shine it to the community, shine it in our families, shine it in our workplaces and everywhere we walk. So we thank you for this time now, Lord, and we ask that you would, we know you're present, and we ask that you would make us aware of your presence as we look into your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to dive right in, and what we're going to do is I'm going to, we're going to walk through the verses of this uh, story, and then we're going to talk about the application of it. So let's go back into John chapter 13, which we just read, and as we, we'll walk through it kind of together. So it starts out, it says this, now, before the feast of the Passover, so again, this is, was set up last week, Passover uh, is coming, Jesus is now in Jerusalem with his disciples, and this will be for the final time. Uh, before his death and resurrection. And Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from the world uh, to the Father. So again, Jesus knew it was coming. He knew this was his final week. These are his final moments. So it's interesting that it's with that in mind that Jesus is choosing to use this time, use this moment to make a statement. And if you think of, if you knew you had a week left, and you said, what do I want to make sure people understand or experience or remember from me in my final week? That's kind of where Jesus was at here. And so he knew this is a turning point in the book of John where over the next several sections, we're going to see him uh, t- model his love for his disciples. He's going to give some instructions on how to love one another, and then he's going to be praying for them in a very intimate prayer, which we'll cover over the next couple months here as we study those passages, but this is the turning point. His hour has come. So now he's, everything Jesus has always done has been very intentional, but this is intention now knowing that this is his last impression, his final moments with his disciples. So knowing he would depart and be with God the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So we have this great picture of Jesus' love for his disciples. Verse 2. During the supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Now this is an interesting statement. We're going to see a little bit more about it next week. But uh, this, just so you know, this idea that Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed by Judas. He already had that in his mind, but here the author John lets us know that Judas had already, the devil put into his heart. Now some of you might say, the devil made me do it. Maybe as a kid you use that as an excuse or something like that. Maybe it wasn't the devil, it was a sibling made me do it. 
for some of you, it was the same, right? Sibling, devil, same. But this would be one of those, you know, it, could Judas say, no, no, God, the devil made me do it. I wouldn't quite say that's what's happening here. But what's, he's saying that the, somehow the thought, the temptation was put into his mind, to Judas's mind. And that had already happened when this uh, meal was taking place. And uh, next week we'll see kind of a deeper understanding of that. So just cue you up for next week on that. So Jesus, uh, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and he was going back to God, he got up from supper, he laid his outer garments aside, and took a towel and tied it around himself. Now if you're familiar with Scripture, you're familiar with the Bible, this story maybe would be one that you're, com- you're familiar with. The idea of Jesus washing feet is a story we've heard before. But I wonder how often we've actually stopped to ponder the great significance of what is really happening. Have we stopped to ponder just how profound that moment would be as Jesus as Lord, as God, who's walked among us, experienced life with us, who ties a towel around his waist to wash his disciples' feet. As we see here, it's knowing that his job was done or about to be done, knowing he'd come forth from God and we'd turn to him, he chooses to do this. Now, there's a couple things happening. One is the actual act of washing the feet, which we're going to look at in just a moment. The other thing is, is this is also a greater symbolism of the very nature of why Jesus came. Uh, the many scholars have pointed out the language in this section is a language of, as it says, Jesus takes off of his garment, he serves his disciples, and then he puts those garments back on, the clothes back on. And the language is he emptied himself of something, he serves, and then he puts something back on, which is a greater symbolism of what Jesus really does as he comes to us in the form of a servant to give his life for us. In fact, the, um, in the book of Mark, it says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what we have here is the Son of Man. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So this language of he took off something in this uh, story, he serves and puts it back on, is he takes off his glory of, of being, empties himself of being God and all the glory of God, experiences life as a human to serve us and then to give his life then back to us. So we see uh, as, as we move on then here in this passage that this is exactly what Jesus, uh, so it's that model of I'm washing your feet but I am also uh, telling you a symbol of my greater mission. Now, let's get into the foot washing. So when we think about what is foot washing there, and uh, you can clear the slide there and we'll move on. Uh, as, as we look at the foot washing, what Jesus is really doing is, this is a, a cultural moment where what would happen in the ancient world is there was often, or always almost, a basin of water when you'd enter into the house. Now the reason why is because they wore sandals, they're walking around in their rainbows, they're hanging out uh, all throughout Galilee, throughout Israel, and you go into the house, and your feet need a washing, 
right? And if any of you can remember some of the stories we've showed, talked about in the past, um, in fact, a few, uh, right before Christmas, we talk, looked at the one where Jesus' feet were anointed by Mary, and um, I shared a picture with you and that one of at the meal, they would recline to their side, and their feet would usually be behind the person uh, who you're sitting next to. But your feet, you're it's just really intimate. You're always kind of close with each other. So think of walking around, and uh, any of you who've ever had um, kids, especially teenage kids, and they take off their feet, their, their shoes, you know, think of, you have that moment, and then you're going to have a, share a meal together, right? So it's nice to have your feet washed, right? Or it's nice for you, for them to have their feet washed. So culturally, obviously, feet would get dirty. You're wearing sandals. The streets aren't paved. You're walking around. Um, some people have used whole illustrations and, and sermons to unpack how dirty the ground was. Like, yeah, it was probably dirty. But the point is, culturally, as a way of being a host, is you provide water, if you're wealthy enough, you would have a servant who would wash the feet of people who had come in. And that would be a form of hospitality. So if I were to throw a dinner party and I invited you over to my house in the ancient world, that I would probably have someone there to wash your feet. And that was a sign so you felt comfortable being in the, at the dinner with us. It was a sign of hospitality. Now, in the home, um, off, sometimes it may be the uh, a wife would wash the husband's feet or the, even the kids would wash their parents' feet. So try that today when you go home, all right, as families. Like, kids, before we have dinner, uh, here, here you go. Wash my feet. <laughs> to which I think my kids would say I'm eating at someone else's house, anyone else's house. But so that's kind of the moment here uh, of what's happening. Now, it also uh, might be, and as I say on, even down there, most often you wash your own feet. It would not be weird for you to go into a place and say, here's your, bu- uh, your bowl of water, go ahead and wash your feet as you enter the house. So it wouldn't be uncommon to have that happen. And as we read throughout scripture, we see that this is the only instance where Jesus actually gets down to wash the feet of his disciples. So it is possible that either they traded off different times uh, or they always wash their own feet. We know at one point uh, we have Jesus looked at someone who was hosting the dinner, and he said, Simon, you didn't even provide anyone to wash my feet as I came here. So this has popped up before, but Jesus takes this moment to gird the towel around him as a form of a servant to wash the feet. Very intentional. As he goes on in verse 5, it says, Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with a towel which he had wrapped around himself. So he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet? And Jesus said to him, what I am doing, you don't realize right now, but you will understand later. I love this interchange between Peter and Jesus. Because Jesus is going from disciple to disciple, and I don't know, was Peter the first one? Was he the last one? We don't know. But imagine how quiet that room must have gotten when Jesus first grabbed the bucket of water, and they think, what is he doing? And he gets down, and he starts washing someone's feet, foot. Put it in there, the first one. Now, we think of this, and this story is an incredible story about the humility of Jesus. But how would you feel if you are sitting there, and you are waiting, seeing Jesus come down the line towards you? And you know he's coming for your feet next. <laughs> How do you feel? 
Now, I know what my feet look like. I, I feel pretty confident in who I am, but I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not, you're not touching my feet. Let me just tell you that. Every once in a while, my wife will say, hey, let's go get pedicures together. And I am just a typical guy where I'm like, that means people have to touch my feet to get a pedicure. And then they're going to see my toes. And they're, and they're like, I, I would have to get a pedicure just before I go so they think I have nice feet. I feel like I'd be like the scene of Dumb and Dumber when they're like, you know, with the power tools on them. So it's something about feet is so intimidating. And it's so intimate to have this moment where Jesus washes them. I remember uh, years ago when I was a youth pastor, we used to take our students down to Tijuana uh, with a ministry that worked along uh, the families that uh, at one time were living in the dumps around Tijuana. And uh, since then, there's been a lot of houses built up, but there's no running water. So we'd come down and bring uh, this water systems and set up these showers for the kids. And the leader of the ministry would always have some of our students wash the feet of these kids before they, got into the, before they went to get their shower. And I, I used to think and watch them do that, and I would laugh because it's like you wash their feet and they walk through the mud then to go get into a shower. And I was talking to the leader at one point, like, why do we do this? Knowing the answer already, but it had nothing to do with giving the kids clean feet. But it had something to do with that humility and that moment, that real human connection of getting down on your knees and humbling yourself with a child to wash their feet. In that case, the act of service was really difficult. But if you've ever had anyone wash your feet, maybe as a symbolism of this, it's just as humbling, isn't it? To receive. And what we see here with Peter is I think it's a symbolism of something greater than just getting his feet washed. See, Peter was uncomfortable with the idea of the Lord washing his feet. He said, no, you're not my servant. You can't wash my feet. And so he, almost out of his pride, he thought, no, you can't do this to me. I will wash your feet. I'll wash everyone's feet. But I agree, believe there's a greater symbolism about receiving the forgiveness of Jesus too. It takes humility to admit we need this. It takes humility to accept the grace of Jesus. To say, I can't make myself good enough. I have to receive from the Lord. I have to admit that on my own, I need to be cleansed. And so Peter, as Jesus comes down the line, he says, no, Lord, you're not touching my feet. You're not going to do this. And Peter, Jesus says to him, well, Peter, if I don't cleanse you, you have no part of me. Again, this is a double meaning. He's not talking about having clean feet at this moment. He's now saying, Peter, you need to receive from me or you have no part of me. And so Peter, in his great, if you've studied the life of Peter, you've listened to him, he's, he often say, just says what's on his mind, and I love Peter for it. Lord, you're not touching my feet. He goes, well, if I don't touch your feet, if I don't cleanse you, then you have no part of me. So Peter says, fine, then wash all of me. <laughs> Why? Because he's saying, if it takes you to cleanse me, to be a part of you, then I want to cleanse every part of me. That you can have it all. Is that great? And then Jesus says, no, 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 just your feet, bro. <laughs> 
which he goes into this verse, the next, you know, uh, the next thing like, he who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, which kids around the world quote that to their parents all the time, right? I don't need a shower. No. Again, he's talking about this cleansing. Once I cleanse you, it's enough. He's not saying that never actually wash yourself, by the way. (laughs) Peter, what I'm about to do, that's all you need. Once I cleanse your feet, once I purify you, once you receive my forgiveness, that's about to happen in the next week. That's all you need, Peter. Receive that. Then he said, and you are now clean, but not all of you. So again, what a moment there, wouldn't it be? Jesus just finished washing all of their feet. Now in verse 11, you are clean, but not all of you are clean. And the disciples, my guess is, they seem to be slow half the time, and they probably look at each other's feet like, who did he miss? (laughs) But he was referring to Judas Iscariot. Kind of a, a sad moment as you think about it. In this moment where Jesus is offering his cleansing, this moment of intimacy with his disciples, this moment of even washing the feet of Judas who's about to betray him, he knows that the ultimate cleansing, the cleansing from your sins, one of you hasn't actually, won't actually receive. One of you has already in your mind decided to reject me. Yet, the Lord washes his feet. He's there with them. We'll see more about Judas next week as well as the meal goes on. So verse 12, then after he washed their feet, he'd taken up his garments, he reclined at the table again, and he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? Great question. And my guess is by this point in the relationship with the disciples, they all kind of were thinking, yes, but I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) And then he goes on, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for that's what I am. Verse 14, if the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, so that you also should do just as I did for you. For truly, as I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. So Jesus en- ends this time with his disciples. Ask them that great question. Do you know what I did? Do you understand the fullness of what I just did? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct. That is what I am. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. You got that right. And so therefore, as Lord, if I have served you and washed your feet, then I leave an example for you to do for one another. And you'll be blessed if you do these things. And that is the same language we get from what's called the Beatitudes, the blessed is the one who. It actually means happy is he who does these things. So you will be happy. You will receive some sort of internal joy if you walk in the ways I just showed you. So now here's the question for us. Jesus left us an example to serve. So what does that mean? What does service really look like? If we try to say, okay, should we just leave here today and become servants? What does that really look like? How do we find the motivation? How do we find the, uh, the app- how do we apply this in our relationships? 
And, and there's a couple areas. One, there's the one another's for, for in the church. In Scripture, by the way, in the New Testament, there's about 100 one another verses about how to treat each other in the church. About 100 times we have, we call them the one another's. How do you one another each other? And about a third of those one another's have to do with uh, unity. About a third of all the one another's have to do with keep the unity, forgiving each other, all those things. About a third of them have to do with loving one another. And even in Galatians 5.13, it says, serve one another in love. So uh, a third of the one another verses are unity, a third are to, to love one another, and then you have about 15% of those are about humility. So of the one another's are how to walk with each other in humility, which I would argue the um, in order to keep humility and love, it takes humility anyway. And then there's the odds and ends one another's, like greet each other, one another with a holy kiss and things like that. So there's some of those in there. But how do we one another each other as servants? What does it look like to have that posture of the servant? How do we apply this? And that's what we want to look at. And there's a few thoughts for you as we look at this. Because Jesus ended and said, I want you to serve and follow the example I gave for you. And of course, his example went even deeper. He gave up his life for us. But there's a few thoughts. First one is this. We want to serve motivated by love. So we want to serve motivated by love. So as we serve one another, if, if it's just duty, uh, if you can do that for a while, but we want our motivation for service to be motivate, to be love for one another. Now, that is easier in relationships where you have this embedded love for one another. Family relationships are sometimes easier, sometimes it's difficult, but you can serve one another because there's this, this natural love that you have for a spouse, for your kids, for your parents, for your family, that that motivation is easier to find. But how about loving people in the church that maybe you don't agree with? What about loving your neighbors? What about serving people? How do we find motivation to love them? It's difficult. Uh, I was thinking of some of you who, you, you know, I talk a lot about, um, I love to coach. I love to, uh, it's my way of still kind of being involved with the, the youth, and I love coaching different sports. In fact, I was asked to coach a sport this year that I've never played before because I didn't have a coach. It's like, yeah, I can do that. I don't know. Um, throwing a discus or shot put, any exam, uh, experience, come see me afterwards. So I looked at the, I was like, do I look like I can throw a shot put? But anyway. <laughs> But I think of as serving as a coach or a teacher or a business leader, that the idea of serving motivated by love doesn't always come naturally. You don't always look at your group of your students if you're a teacher and say, I love every one of these students. So how do we find motivation for love? I just want to give you a few kind of hints or uh, tips, I would say, is begin by praying for them. If you're a boss and you have a group of people who work for you, if you start praying for them, watch your heart change. Now, I'm not saying you're ever going to be motivated by the same love you have for your own kids. Probably not going to happen. Sometimes it's just there's a little bit of deep-rooted um, just sense of honor and duty. I'm, a, I'm walking in the ways of Jesus, so I'm going to choose to love people. But one of the greatest ways to learn and to grow in your love for someone is to begin praying for them. Because as you invest your time and your emotional, spiritual effort in someone's life by praying for them, you will find your heart towards them. And I have seen time and time again, they tend to open up towards you. 
something happens that I believe is God at work. It's the Holy Spirit. But so if you're a teacher or a leader or a coach, I used to, um, when we would get ready to draft our teams uh, to coach them, I would pray, God, I want this, please send me the families and students that you want me to coach this year. And so, and then I'd get the team and say, thank you, this is my team. But I didn't often continue to pray for those families and kids throughout the year. Um, the prayers would be like, Lord, play, please help this kid hit the ball this game. This, but, but maybe it's more, maybe the prayer should be, Lord, please widen my heart to these families. Help me to love them the way you love them. Help me to see them the way you see them. As a boss working in the, uh, maybe you lead a team at your work, maybe you lead a company. You begin praying for those who you lead. Lord, help my heart expand for those I lead. If you're leading, maybe you're uh, over the PTA or a committee or anything, pray for the people on your team. And yes, pray for the most difficult people on your team. And you don't have to pray for them to change. Pray for your heart, your heart to change. And watch what happens. So we want to serve motivated by love. The next thing is this. We want to serve as an outflow of identity, of who we are. We're not serving to get something. We're serving because we've received. Notice when Jesus serves, what does he say when he's done? You call me Lord and teacher, and you are correct because that's what I am. See, Jesus was very clear about who he was and his identity. He knew that being a servant wasn't going to change any of his standing in the eyes of those around him. Sometimes we're afraid to be servants because we think, well, what if they think that I'm no longer above them? What if people start treating me poorly because I'm a servant, because I care? And I know in leadership, this doesn't mean you do all the tasks of those who are under you asked to do something. That's not what we're talking about. But being willing to see needs, to meet them, to care for the people around you. We want to serve out an outflow of who we are. As Jesus served as an outflow of who he was. And so we do that not to get something in return, but we, get, we do it to give because of what has already been given to us. And service will dim, not diminish people's understanding of who you are as you learn to serve. We don't serve to accomplish something. We serve because that's who we are in Christ. The next thought is this. We want to serve with a long-term perspective. I love, even in this story, what does Jesus say? He looks at his disciples and says, you don't understand right now what I have just done. You don't fully get it now, but you will understand it later. See, sometimes serving and loving is a long road. There's some of you in your relationships, maybe family relationships, that it's a long road, and a road of you serving one another out of love. Maybe some of you, you've been through some rough times, and it's just been a cycle of payback and payback. And maybe Jesus is inviting you in to break that cycle. And would you be the one to stop and to serve a spouse out of love, even one that you're struggling with? And you know what? You have to have the long view, a long-term perspective. Change doesn't always happen overnight. Change happens over time. And it's about you humbling yourself and walking in the way to the Lord and trusting that He is at work. 
I love how Jesus did that. He knew when I'm done here, the disciples aren't going to get it. They're still going to argue about who's, who's, so Jesus, cool, that was great. Now who's the greatest of us? Who gets to sit on your right hand when we get to heaven? Who's higher status? That's what they wanted to know. <laughs> we'll see that in, in other stories in their life. That's the question. They didn't quite get it now. And Jesus said, you don't get it now, but you'll get it later. Sometimes we serve not for immediate results. Because again, we're not doing it to receive, we're doing it to give. But we know that over time, things change. I've heard some beautiful stories and it, they're not my stories to share, but some of you and the things you've done in your own marriages is act of forgiveness or an act of grace or when the other person didn't even deserve it or someone chose to be a servant and to love in that moment. And I would think, man, if I was on the other side of that, knowing that I have been in the wrong, and if my wife came to me with a bucket of water and said, I'm gonna, I want to wash your feet, which she just said, nah, I'm just, I'll do something else. <laughs> Imagine what that would do to my heart, to think I don't deserve this. Why would you love me this way? It's a long view. We serve knowing that sometimes it takes time. We don't know what will happen in the long run. I was remembering, uh, it was kind of, I, I was taken aback. We were at our 20-year class reunion um, and talking, one night we were talking with, um, and it wasn't this year, it was a while ago. I wish I could say this year when we were at our 20-year reunion. It wasn't. But I remember talking to one of, uh, a student who I knew and I wasn't really friends with, but we knew we would talk from time to time. And I remember him sharing his perspective of me in high school. And, I was, and he's like, oh, you used to always try to help me keep on the straight and narrow, and you kept you know, doing all these things. I'm like, I, I, no, I, I didn't. I never did that for you. That was his perspective. And it was funny that I think sometimes you just never know who's watching and what they're gaining. And sometimes it's 20 years later that you say, oh, I made a difference in your life? My guess is you have stories of people that you have affected and changed in your lives and you might not ever know or you might not know for 10 or 20 years. But let's not change our way of walking with Jesus based on the immediate results. Have the long-term view. Last thing is this. We serve in the footsteps of Jesus. I saved the easiest one for last, right? Why do we serve? We want to be motivated by love. We want to uh, serve out of our identity. We want to serve with a long-term perspective. And one, we want to serve because it's in the footsteps of Jesus. He says, I gave you an example. Now follow my example. Simple as that. I've given to you. I've transformed you. Now I'm calling you to do as I have done. To look at your brothers and sisters in Christ with a heart for them. A heart of service. Now, as we end here, we're going to bring out buckets of water, and how uncomfortable would you all be? I've been in churches where we've done that. <laughs> we debated it, but we said not today. <laughs> but even if I did, what would you feel at that moment? See, that's a very intimate way of serving. It's difficult. But we're called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, our heart for one another. There's times we say, Lord, even if it causes me to give up of myself and my pride 
and my comfort for the good of another. Amen. Because of what he's done for us. As we end our time here, I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back. And I want to ask you uh, a question here. Is what does service look like for you this week? Who is someone in your area of influence that God might be inviting you to serve this week? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's someone who works for you. Maybe it's someone who you work for. I want you to take a moment and think of, is there a name of someone or a group of people that Jesus is inviting you to be an example of service in their lives? And maybe some of you, it's in your marriage that this afternoon or this evening, you're going to have to have a humbling, maybe talk or a humbling of yourself to approach a spouse. Maybe you need to apologize for something. Maybe you ask, need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you just need to say, let's break this cycle of trying to one-up one another, and I want to serve you here today. When we have that name or those group of people, then we're going to take a moment. I'm going to invite you to pray for them, the quietness of your heart, and pray that God would open your heart for them and also open an opportunity this week. So have that name or the, the group of people or whatever it is, and let's turn to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. And in the quietness of your heart, I want to invite you right now, would you just lift that name up to God and just, Lord, I pray for, name them right now, name them to the Lord. Now the prayer is, I want you to pray and just, Lord, would you give me an opportunity this week to serve this person? Lord, would you open my eyes to the need of the moment? Lord, would you increase my heart for this person? Most of all, Lord, would you then, through your Spirit, empower me to walk in your ways? And God, in this place across this room right now, there's some are maybe thinking of names, and it's joyful. It's someone who would be really fun to serve and to bless and to care for this week. For others, though, Lord, I know there's some names that came up that is going to be difficult. And so, God, I pray that you, through your spirit, would empower each person. God, through your spirit, would you remind us that we give not to get, but we give because you have already given. That we have all we need to walk in the life of love that you've shown us. That we have your spirit empowering us. And, Lord, as we fall short from time to time, Lord, that we fall in your grace. We're not out to earn anything. We're just out to walk in the ways that you've modeled. And so, Lord, in this place, I pray for every name that was lifted up right now. God, would you bless those people 
God, would you give us opportunity this week to love? Lord, lead us by your spirit.